Dear friends, welcome to another edition of Forum 2000 Online Chat. My name is Arzu Gebula, and joining us today is Chantal Mouf, a Belgian political theorist and former professor of political theory at the University of Westminster. She has taught at many universities in Europe, North America, and Latin America, and has held research positions at Harvard, Cornell, the University of California, the Institute for Advanced Study in Princeton, and others, and is best known for her contribution to redefining leftist politics in terms of radical democracy. Ms. Mouf, welcome to this edition of Forum 2000 Online Chat. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. Welcome to you also, Arzu. Thank you. If you don't mind, I'll say Chantal. Uh, in 1985, together with Ernesto Laclau, you outlined a theoretical approach in hegemony and social strategy towards a radical democratic politics that defined your later reflections about the rise of the radical right in several European countries and the deep crisis of political identity liberal democracies would face <clears throat> in years to come. Already then, you called to rework liberal democracy in ways that could overcome these types of crises. Reflecting back on the past decades, did you anticipate just how much of what you were envisaging then would become true? And what can you tell us about where we are now in terms of crisis of liberal democracies are facing at the moment, the oligarchization of our societies, the increase in equality exacerbated by COVID-19? Well, uh, in order to answer that question, I need, I mean, because you jump from hegemony to, to the current situation, and in fact, there are a lot of uh, steps in between. Because in, in hegemony and socialist strategy, what we laid on the theoretical basis of what is going to be the posterior world. And there we say that uh, to really, you know, think the political, we need two main concepts, antagonism and hegemony. I mean, it means that you need it. it it's very important to understand that, to, to understand, you know, how, how my, at least in that case, uh, posterior reflection. Because to speak of antagonism means already to inscribe yourself in a certain conception, which is called the dissociative conception of the political. To say that politics is about antagonism, it's about conflict. There is another conception, which is in fact widespread and certainly dominant in liberal thought, which is the... Uh, 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 aggregative, uh, so, sorry, the, the conception of the, of the political, associative conception of the political. That is, the political is the, the, the field of acting in common, and basically what is uh, in, in, uh, important is to reach consensus. You know, so they are very diff different point of view, and it's very dif different, different uh, what kind of conclusion we are going to, to draw from that. The other aspect, hegemony, so refer to um, another uh, um, dimension, uh, what we uh, have called an anti-essentialist conception of the, uh, society, and society is a discursive field. You, you don't have reality already there that you have, you know, to kind of represent. Uh, um, reality is always discursively constructed. And, you know, this is where hegemony enters uh, uh, into uh, consideration. You know, it's always the result of specific hegemony. It can be transformed. And there is another aspect in, in the book, which uh, uh, is re related more to, to the political intention is there, as, as you indicated, we are proposing to redefine socialism in terms of a radicalization of democracy, because we think that socialism can not only be concerned with the demand of the working class, 
socialism must also be concerned with the demand of what was called at the time, because the book was published in 1985, uh, uh, the new social movement, you know, feminism. Okay, so that, that's the, the main point. Well, uh, after fighting hegemony, uh, I asked myself the question, well, how should we conceive democracy so that it can be radicalized? Uh, and then this is when uh, in, in, in books which are the, the return of the political, the democratic paradox on the political, I began to reflect about, you know, uh, how do we, when we speak about democracy today in our liberal democratic societies, what, what do we mean? You know, and how do we, we envisage it? And there I began to realize that there are, again, two main views. One which is called the aggregative model of democracy. But the, mainly it is uh, what uh, you learn in political science department. It's to say, uh, well, democracy is about how to aggregate and combine different interests. But, you know, there is also another view, which is more dominant in political philosophy department, which is the deliberative model of democracy. And that, of course, the two big names are uh, in, in the U.S., so John Rawls in uh, um, Germany, uh, well, in Europe in general, uh, uh, Jürgen Habermas. And it is then, and this is, you know, central to my uh, uh, the posterior, uh, the way I'm going to answer your question, I found that neither of those models of democracy allow a vision in which we could imagine a radicalization of democracy. And we needed to have another model. And this is the very important part of my work. I've been concerned in developing this model, which I call an agonistic model of democracy. And uh, uh, in agonistic model of democracy, in fact, I start from the idea that uh, uh, when what we speak, we speak of democracy basically is a li liberal model of democracy, which is the result of an articulation between the, the liberal tradition, we can resume it to the defense of liberty, but uh, um, human rights, uh, um, for instance, also separation of power, you know, and then the democratic tradition, which is based on equality and popular sovereignty. And my, my claim is that really for democracy to work well, we need to have all the possibility of the two tendencies to be expressed and negotiated because contrary to Habermas, who believe that there is some kind of co-originality between uh, liberty and equality, I, 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 I agree with Sayez of what they say. No, there is, they cannot be perfect perfectly reconciled. So there is a tension between them. And I think for me, uh, what I call, uh, you know, a real democracy is when you recognize this tension and allow for the tension to be negotiated. And, and of course, there are moments when it's the liberal aspect, the liberty, which is dominant, other, which is the uh, more equal, equality of them. But, you know, it's important to have the possibility of a contestation, an agonistic contestation. Well, when, what the, according to, to me, what is the problem in our societies, and this is why I think we've got a crisis of liberal democracy, is that we are in a situation which I call post-democratic. By that I mean that the, because of the dominance of, you know, the liberalism which is linked to the development of neoliberalism, because we need to situate that, you know, in, in the uh, co context, everything which has got to do with the equality and popular sovereignty element, everything that comes from the democratic tradition has been pushed aside and basically there is a dominance of the liberal conception of, of democracy. 
And this is why, you know, we don't have anymore an agonistic contestation. And this is what I see. We are post-democratic because in a sense, of course, our societies call themselves democratic, but uh, uh, it's, it's really something which um, in which the crucial element of democracy is, is being you know, eliminated. And for me, this is what is the main problem. The crisis of liberal democracy today comes from the fact that there is a almost complete dominance of you know, the, the liberal tradition uh, over the democratic one. And that you can visualize that through two aspects. First one, which I call the post-politic, and that, for instance, was something which is crucial in my book on, on the political, where I uh, um, reflect on the situation. Of course, it was, you know, mainly um, what began in, in, in Britain with Tony Blair and the, the, the third way. And the, so there is no more antagonism, you know, there is no more, uh, we can all, all agree. And, uh, and this, to speak of left and right, doesn't make sense anymore because, in fact, we could imagine this tension, you know, between liberty and equality can be translated into the struggle between left and right. Does huh? the left being more centered on equality and the uh, uh, the right on defense of of of, of liberty? Uh, okay, those. But the post-political situation that is characteristic of uh, uh, the the third way is, is is that they say no, there is no more tension, you know, and in fact, uh, basically. What it means that when citizens go to 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 uh, vote, they don't really have a choice because, and that of course is also linked to the fact that social democratic government finally have accepted this thesis that there is no alternative to neoliberal globalization. So their progr pro 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 political program is not very different from the from the center. Uh, Right. So center left, center right, they more or less offer the same uh, uh, program. Uh, and that was presented at the, at the time, I mean, by people, uh, theorists like uh, uh, Ulrich Beck or, or uh, particularly, of course, uh, um, Tony Giddens, a great advance for democracy. It's a progress. Democracy has become more mature, you know, because no, we, do, we don't have antagonism. Well, already in 2005, when uh, On the Political was published, I was saying, no, it's not a, a, a progress for democracy. It is basically what's the problem for democracy. And this is creating the terrain for the development of right-wing populist movement. Because those movements are the only one who pretend that there is an alternative. You know, they say, no, 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 if there is an alternative. We are going to give the people the right to decide. At that moment, in 2005, in fact, there, there were not that many uh, uh, right-wing populist movement of those type. For instance, well, my reflection was very based on what was happening in Austria, the development of the uh, Gork, uh, uh, Idea of Freedom Party. In France, we had also the, the Front National with Le Pen, but the father of the... In Belgium, there was also the Blams Belang, but it was not generalized. You know, But I was saying, this is this kind of third way politics is and, and the post political situation is creating the terrain for the success of those movements. Well, and I must say, unfortunately, I was I was right because no, a bit more than you know, well, more than ten years later, we are seeing that 
Well, there is uh, right-wing populist movement in all of uh, uh, Europe, to speak only of, of Europe, no? So I think that my diagnostic that in order to re-even, let's call it an healthy democratic life, you need to have a distinction between left and right. You need to have a, a, a possibility for uh, people to choose. And I think that, in fact, uh, this situation, which I was I already seeing as very problematic for democracy in 2005, has been exacerbated because next to uh, the, the aspect which I call post-politic, no? the fact that citizens, when they go to vote, they don't have a, cho a, a choice. So, in fact, we could say it's the elimination of, of the aspect of popular sovereignty, which is crucial to democracy. But I had mentioned before that there is another aspect, of course, which is equality. Well, this is also the element which has been eliminated, and particularly, you know, a crucial moment for that is the 2008 crisis and the politics of austerity who have been implemented. So what we have been seeing in the last decade is on what I call an oligarchization of our societies. Uh, because, well, and, and it has been documented by, you know, Thomas Piketty, so that, in fact, no, we are in, in a situation in which there is an incredible gap between a smaller and smaller group of very rich people and the rest of people who are becoming, you know, proletarianized, precarized for the, the development of called the precariat. Uh, so we can see that there is, there is really, we can speak of post-democracy in the sense that both the element of equality and the element of popular sovereignty, which are crucial values of democracy, have been uh, left aside. And this is for me what is the, the origin of what I call the populist moment. Um, you know, and I think that maybe you want to ask me something about that, but uh, and I stop here for, for a moment because, but I wanted to show, you know, how I did arrive to, to this uh, uh, um, analysis, uh, starting from a given socialist strategy, more theoretical, and then analyzing and what was happening in Europe. And, and, and showing that the, the populist moment must be understood in the context of, you know, the, 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 this crisis of liberal democracy and the abandonment of the post-political condition. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's fascinating. I'm especially fascinated by um, the concept of oligarchization because, you know, as a journalist, you often report on oligarchy in terms of corruption and in terms of authoritarian governments where there is uh, money laundering and whatnot. But looking at it from this perspective is, is really fascinating to me. But I also wanted to follow up. So taking into account this, this timeline of, of um, various developments, um, I guess no one was really prepared for the COVID-19. And I think it really feeds into your argument, whether you bring in the concept of inequality, where you bring in um, all the different political theories. How would you define how much this current crisis affected the ability of the governments to deal with the pandemic, to provide support, to make sure that there is um, some kind of uh, uh, a trusted, vetted system to the people who actually basically kept the, the country's economies alive, right? The, the essential workers who made sure that the goods were delivered and that the, there was some, the, some work was carried out, whereas the white collar class was sitting at home and, you know, having um, the chance to work from home to begin with. Um, so I would really like to hear what you, how you analyze that, how you see it. 
Yeah, well, for me, the crisis, the, the, the pandemic has exacerbated the crisis. The crisis is not, you know, the uh, uh, pandemic is not the, of the the origin of those diseases. It may, it may make it exacerbated and, and it, of course, is making them much more visible, okay? Uh, and the way the, the government has reacted to that, of course, varies a, a lot, but basically, I mean, what is interesting uh, is that they have been forced to uh, uh, against the kind of liberal do neoliberal dogma, it make the state intervene. You know, obviously, for instance, here in Britain, uh, it's incredible the way in which the, the government of Boris Johnson with, with, with Rishi Sunak, you know, in, in um, fact, the, 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 they, of course, defeated in the last election in 2009 the, the Labour Party, but they, they are uh, applying many of the, of the policies that the Labour Party was proposing, but it's because they are forced. In fact, they are forced in order to save capitalism, you know? So it, 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 it is uh, something which, uh, um, well, here I, 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 I am uh, um, not so optimistic as many people with the beginning of the pandemics oh you know that's in fact is good for us because precisely is showing you know the, the, the inequalities is showing uh, uh, um, the fact that the state after all is important well you know i think that no after one year of, of uh, we can see that uh, um things might not be going into that direction. And in fact, I'm rather worried about the possibility of uh, um, this crisis, I will say, might offer a, a new lease of life to neoliberalism. Because neoliberalism was clearly in crisis before that, but even if the crisis was in a first moment exacerbated, and so it's paradoxical, the situation, because it exacerbated, but on the other side, you know, we might see the, the, the and, and here I'm thinking particularly of cases that, that, that like France and, and uh, the, U, the UK, which is the one that I know, we are seeing the, the, the development of what can be called an authoritarian form of neoliberalism. You know, because uh, um, of course there's, there was always an element of authoritarianism, obviously, but this time, really, in fact, in France and 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 the way in 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 in, in which the state is reacting against, you know, uh, any well, we've seen that what happened with the relation to the gilets jaunes, but and and no here in 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 uh, um, the, the UK, any kind of demonstration, any kind of attempt, you know, but to to act politically is repressed. There is a, a level of, of, of authoritarianism, both in France and in German, in, in, in uh, um, the UK, which is really completely new, you know. And But the problem is that this, in a sense, they are people who are beginning to accept those things because they are presented as necessary, you know, in order to solve the, 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 the sanitary crisis, you know. So I think there is, a, um, yeah, some kind of interesting uh, uh, situation on one side. And by the way, this, this situation, which is we are seeing, is, is not something is completely, you know, uh, 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 new, because in fact, Karl Polanyi already in his book, The Great Transformation, which is was published at the beginning of the 1940s, when he was reflecting on 
uh, the, the, the way in which the different countries had reacted to the big, you know, first crisis, he said, well, when societies are really uh, um, under situation which are put into question the basis of society, you know, they, they tend to develop a, a, a need for protection. So they, 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 they tend to, to defend themselves. And he said, but the problem is that this need for protection can, can be interpreted both in progressive and regressive ways. And he gave us an example. He said, for instance, well, what happened uh, at that time was you had on one side uh, uh, um, Franklin Roosevelt New Deal, so progressive situation, but also uh, fascism and, 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 and Stalinism. And I think that we are today in a very analogous situation because what I detect is that there is clearly a desire for protection, you know, uh, uh, the, the demand the, the, for the society to be protected from the crisis. But this demand for protection can lead people to accept how already people are already accepting a series of limitation of their liberty, which they would never have accepted before, you know. And this is, of course, linked to the way in which this new form of authoritarianism is, is some kind of digital form of authoritarianism, you know, the, the, the development of uh, uh, all those apps. And, and so we, in order to control, we are more and more, you know, controlled digitally of all of movement, but all that is made in the name of, uh, um, you know, the defense of uh, the society and protection. So people are, are accepting that. So the, and and this is why I think that one way of of, the, of this crisis can be precisely the development of a new, uh, a, a new uh, form of uh, uh, neoliberalism of the digital and authoritarian form. Uh, and of course, there is another uh, alternative, which of, can also be, is it also this crisis, in a sense, uh, give a terrain which is favorable for the development of right-wing populist movement who come and, and, and say, well, you know, the only way to protect yourself is to close the, the border, is to... Uh, uh, Re-establish some kind of, you know, from a protection and a protection. In that case, you know, not so much through digital means, but more into uh, the, the traditional, you know, uh, right-wing populism. Uh, um, you know, I, what I call that an immunatory form of defense. So you, we, we are going to protect ourselves from the immigrant, from the, and all those things are, in fact, the, the one which I see as being dominant today. And it's created a big challenge for the left because how is the left going to react to that? How is the left going to offer a form of protection which is not, you know, uh, around those authoritarian lines? And this is the kind of things I'm working on at the moment, you know, what because I think that is, is really very important for the left to acknowledge this desire for protection, because the left usually, I think, oh, protection, you know, that, that's a bit uh, conservative. They, 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 they don't feel, and I think that's that's a big, big danger, because if, if they don't acknowledge that they need to address this demand for protection in a way which is going to be emancipatory, you know, which, and this, for instance, in a recent piece that I've published in Open Democracy, I argue that uh, the project for the left should be, and that's how I envisage, you know, what I call a, a left-wing populist uh, strategy today, is to uh, link 
the 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 the, the funds you know of society and the demand for protection to the development of what I, a, a green new deal, you know, because the other question, which is crucial today, of course, is the, the climate emergency, you know, and, and we can't just not address that. It's crucial to be addressed. But again, it can be addressed in many different ways. And I think that the left need to address that in a way which is going to make people see that this can be envisaged in terms of a radicalization of democracy, not something that, you know, is going to be... It should not be understood in simply a defensive way. Oh, my God, you know, this catastrophe can come on that. No, it can be also presented in a way, well, you know, this is going to create a better kind of society uh, in, in which, and that is, is what I find interesting in the Green New Deal, as envisaged, for instance, like, by uh, Ocasio-Cortez in the U.S., to link the question of ecological question with the difference of inequalities. Sorry, the, 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 well, the even of equality and critique of inequalities, you know, to, to link that to also anti-racist, feminist struggle. I, I think that's really the way in which I think that a left populist project should be envisaged today. Um, Absolutely. I'm, I'm a big uh, fan of AOC and the work she does and um, her um, advocacy around so many different issues um, shaping in, in the U.S. Chantal, I probably could ask you uh, a ton of other questions and keep talking to you, but I also know that we have a limit on our time. So I would only like to thank you for sharing with us your uh, views, your findings, your research. And I very much hope that we meet uh, in person uh, someday and, and have a chance to continue this fascinating conversation. Thank you so much for okay. joining. Thank you very much, Atsu.